Coming up on Life is a Festival. What most of us live with is a big bag of undigested experiences, whether it be a high point peak festival vibe or whether it be some trauma from childhood or teen life or whatever stories we carry. And yoga so much is about unpacking those, doing our very best to digest them, see what is nutrients in them, what's waste, let the waste go by, let the nutrients absorb and have that be the way now you live your life is a person that becomes more whole. So you walk from the room and not all of us are resistant, like you said, walking in, you know, to the yoga space to open that bag of all of our past experiences, highs and lows that need to be fully assimilated into our being. My name is Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness, in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Oh my God, y'all. It's been a year. It has been one year since I launched Life is a Festival. That's 12 months and 40 conversations about how to create a life more like the open-hearted, joyful, experimental play that I've experienced at Burning Man and at festivals around the world. What an incredible project this has become. In fact, I've got some pretty exciting news. So out of the blue, literally through my website, I was contacted by Spotify. Spotify has invited me to do live versions of Life is a Festival for their end-of-year parties in London and Stockholm next month. No joke. They're flying me out to London and then on to Stockholm in Sweden at their headquarters to do Life is a Festival live for the Spotify team. I know it's often said in situations like this, but this never would have happened if it weren't for you. You, you listening right now. It's your support, it's your love of the show, it's your questions, it's your suggestions for new guests. All of this has kept this momentum going and helped me to create something that caught the eye of one of the biggest podcasting sites in the world, Spotify. Um, So thank you. And it is such an incredible honor to be asked to do this, and I'm just so grateful. Okay, so today's episode, it's short but it's a mighty, mighty episode. Janet Stone is a rock star yoga teacher. She calls herself a yoga student, but I feel like if you are a rock star yoga teacher, then you would call yourself a yoga student. Anyway, I've been taking classes from Janet Stone for a long time now in San Francisco at Yoga Tree. Um, She also teaches around the world doing teacher trainings. She teaches at festivals like Wanderlust, Bali Spirit, um, and she's in her 18th year now at Yoga Tree. So she's been doing this for a while. Um, On the podcast, we talk about assimilating experiences from Burning Man and festivals to psychedelics to yoga. How do we take yoga off the mat? We talk about humor, which is so, so needed when we're doing spiritual pursuits because we can get so wrapped up in our own selfness. And humor is great at cutting that. And she is great at humor. We also talk about service. And service is really, in my opinion, where this whole life is a festival journey often takes us. Once we've partied, and then we start healing, and then we start really grounding into the truth of who we are, it becomes obvious that taking care of others around us is really the most meaningful use of our time. At least that's been my experience. I'm somewhere on that trajectory. Sometimes I just want to party. Finally, at the end of the episode, um, Janet talks about the story of Hanuman, the monkey king. And um, actually, uh, Janet taught a class on my birthday two years ago that was a two-hour devotional class totally focused on Hanuman. And I cried like three times. The story of Hanuman is deep and really profound and important to me. And it's beautiful that even in a short podcast, we were able to share this story of this incredible metaphor for how to live our own lives. 
Oh, and I'm doing this thing where I end each episode with a sweet track. And in this case, we're ending the episode with a track by Janet Stone and DJ Drez called Hanuman Bolo. So full arc of Hanuman on Life is a Festival. Janet Stone, from Burning Man to the bake sale, she is living her life as a festival and teaching us all to do the same, both on the mat and off it. Here we go. Lightning round out the gate. <laughs> I'm here with Janet Stone, my yoga teacher, many people's yoga teacher. And um, I thought we were going to do a little longer time, but we have a little shorter time, which means that we start with a kind of yoga in the sense of non-attachment and releasing expectations. And I found that the most valuable, so yoga was in part my starting place in terms of personal growth in many ways. Um, And yoga is what set the model for me about being present with what is. Um, that was my first and meditation came later and, um, the mindful use of psychedelics came later. The unconscious use of psychedelics came earlier, but you know, these different pieces came later, but, um, the foundational value of yoga in my life has been a practice of accepting what is and being present with my breath. So it's very funny that, um, I want you longer than I can have you, (laughs) but of course the reason I can't have you longer is because you're a mom and Mm. you had a bake sale. Mm. I got a bake sale. Life is a festival, you know? And so my yoga today is um, preparing food so that a bunch of kids, when they get out of school, can gather around the table excitedly and uh, munch on lots of little treats. That's how it goes. And just before we started, as I was talking a little bit about the thrust of this podcast being integrating peak experiences and festival experiences into our lives. You were saying that there was a time when you did all the Burning Man things Mm. and all the ashram things. Mm. And now you're very focused on the mom things. Yeah. Well, you know, ultimately the burn became my daily living in the sense that, that I want to delight and interact in a way that feels um, open and vulnerable and equitable and um, like it's a big celebration and a dance and cathartic. And same with the ashram life. I feel as if my home is open to people who travel through and um, I move around the world and and end up in other people's homes and that these hard ideas that I had about, oh, I have to go to this place or do this thing to be in the bhav, the vibe, the energy of the collective or my own deep unearthing of greater wisdom had to be somewhere, something, that's what has shifted. And that it's now um, at least my daily attempt to live the burn, live the ashram life, in a sense, in my bake sales and in my um, traveling and in my offerings and in my studentship. Do you feel like you needed the burn, the travel, the ashrams to like open the door for you such that you can now weave it into your everyday life? Did you need those kind of peak experiences, the fireworks? Let's say you had never had that. Mm. Do you think you would have been able to weave these concepts and ways of living into your daily life if you'd taken a different path? Mm, That is a really good question. You know, I, I, I am entirely grateful for them. I can say that. And I feel as if they did open windows of, um, new ways of perceiving myself and the world around me. And really with that deeper longing, of having it be a daily lived experience, meaning to say, of course, if I didn't have those, then I wouldn't long for those. And so many people who go, let's just say they go out and travel the world or travel for a while. The biggest challenge is when they come home. It's that reintegration and how do I be in this old paradigm in this new mindset and same with the burn because I live in San Francisco. <laughs> so I see them all prepped to go and I see them all return home and there's a disillusionment, there's a, a grasping to the desert life or, you know, we're just using that as an example as opposed to the experience just having been the experience and how best do I be that experience 
within the life and structure that I that I live. Is there an analogous experience within an actual yoga session or sequence that represents that peak to integration? Yeah, I think <clears throat> maybe if if we're blessed, every practice is that way. If we're really tuning in, if we're not just rotely doing it, or if we're not sleepwalking um, through, and let you know, let's define yoga practice. And yoga practice can be. Um, a way of being mindful in your movements throughout a morning ritual of daily preparations or actually a morning dinacharya, which is an Ayurvedic journey of clearing all the senses and clearing your palate. And then let's say, is it yoga asana? Sure, we can add that in. Is it meditation? Yes, we can add that in. And that actually has that full art capacity to take you all the way to the highest heights. I often look at at a yoga sequence, let's say, and again, whatever that actually might mean for different persons, as the hero's journey, you know, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey, in that you have those moments where you see yourself in your daily life. You see yourself as your average Joe self, just doing all the things, walking through your moments, and then <laughs> that you suddenly wake up to something and then you're drawn to it, but you're also resisting it, but you're drawn to it. And at some sort of peak moment of meditation where you really just immerse in the moment or um, you've really worked toward moving and opening your body in a certain way that you arrive at a posture that you didn't even think was possible in this body that you have. And, and then it's that sort of journey to integrate, to return back and to, and if I think about it at the yoga studio, I think of everyone walking down the stairs out of the studio that I've been at 18 years and walking back into the dirty streets of the Castro and reintegrating. Do I go left or right? Do I go take a bath and be quiet? Do I go social laugh? Do I, what happens after this? And that's what, that's, what's interesting to me. Yeah. I, I think that that may also be why your classes are so popular. So I'll just my experience of your classes, there's two things that I get in your classes that I feel like I, I actually don't get in other yoga classes. And I have close friends who are yoga teachers. Lots of people teach yoga. There's lots of different kinds of ways to do yoga. But um, in your classes, there's two things that I've noticed, which are, first of all, it's different every time. Like it's totally different. And I find myself at the beginning, I, I, by the way, I never want to do it. Never want to do it. Like I get myself there, but when I'm right there, we're about yeah, to yeah. start, I'm like, yeah. oh, it's going to be so hard. But there's a way that it builds from the inside out mm. for me, mm. where it starts in a way that I can handle. And by by the time I'm like 40 minutes in, I'm like, wait, what am I twisting and doing? Like, how is this even <laughs> happening? Mm. And then as you say, this sort of integration where I kind of land back. So that it's almost from the inside out that I, and therefore when it's the bigger, more peak experiences, I can handle it. And then when I leave the class, the second part that I find unique to your classes is I feel like all these tiny little supporting muscles in my body have strengthened in such a way that the integrity of my full form, I can kind of feel it. And so that's why I like going to your classes, by the way. That's why I've been going Thank for a while. Um, and I think it's, a, again, a great metaphor for the way that we, uh, the mindfulness with which we can approach these powerful experiences in our lives. Mm. Like, are we really warmed up to go to the burn yeah. or to go to a festival mm. or to pursue a powerful psychedelic or sexual or any other experience that challenges us? Are we properly scaffolding that up and then are we integrating it back? And I think that if we get those two pieces right, then we get the integrity of the tiny little muscles, which is what makes the lived experience so much more palpable and rich. Yeah, then it's integrated. And that's so much of the yoga practice is truly about mm, assimilating an experience and experience to experience. So all these peak, but also the traumas. Every single human will have traumas. This is it, guaranteed. Deep harmful, sad, beautiful, high embracing. We get this ride. And to be able to, especially in, in easier times, to create a foundation and integration of the tiny muscles, as you say, to um, be able to assimilate an experience. Because what most of us live with is 
a big bag of undigested experiences, whether it be a high point peak festival vibe, or whether it be some trauma from childhood or teen life or whatever stories we carry. And yoga so much is about unpacking those, doing our very best to digest them, see what is nutrients in them, what's waste, let the waste go by, let the nutrients absorb and have that be the way now you live your life is a person that becomes more whole. So you walk from the room and not all of us are resistant, like you said, walking in, you know, to the yoga space to open that bag of all of our past experiences, highs and lows that need to be fully assimilated into our being. I know that the work is never done. That's mm. one of the things about about yoga, about any kind of spiritual growth. It's never done. But I think that it can get frustrating to wonder, am I doing it right? Am I doing the right thing? Mm. I mean, is acupuncture actually helping with this thing that I want to change in my life? Is it yoga? Is it meditation? I think that in the modern world, we have a smorgasbord of spiritual practices. And along with that, all these different spiritual egos that we can affect too, mm. of like, well, I'm doing... I have this incredible dancer's pose, whatever that means, you know, how do we find our true north in the context of so many options for spiritual growth? Yeah. I call it the poo-poo platter, right? You're just going to like spin it and you've got, you know, especially in certain communities and where we all then develop this language and anyone who's just even a degree outside of the circle of this language has no clue about what we're talking about. And can be really put off by it, too. And can be really put off by it, because, again, just like anyone who kind of wears their anything, like uh, their political viewpoint, their um, dietary viewpoint, their spiritual viewpoint, um, in whatever degree it comes in, ends up being uh, excluding as opposed to including. Yoga is actually about taking off all of our identities, It's the opposite of putting on more identities. And what you see in the Western yoga is putting on more identities. I am this, I am that, it's this type of yoga, it's that type of yoga, define, define, separate, define, separate, define, separate. So in that beautiful spin of the poopa platter of support into what you're up to, I mean, that takes the deep and infinite work of self-study of really keep refining what it is that you want to get up to in your life. Keep pulling away the layers of all the things we try to put on to bolster ego and bolster self, dance or pose or all of those things. And as we shed and shed and shed and shed and shed, I mean, it's an endless experience. So yeah, maybe for a time acupuncture is your thing. Maybe it's for your lifetime. Maybe it's uh, therapy and psychedelics maybe it's um vipassana meditation and just going to sit three times a year for 10 days straight and it it, each person has a different portal into that inner world now again you can use that well i as an identity i sit vipassana and then suddenly you feel your ego elevated and really yoga is about stripping that down again and again and again and again and getting down to the seed the core the the really infinitely changing um nature of life that we actually have zero control in many ways I found the metaphor of the yoga sequence, whatever sequence that is, to be really helpful for exactly this thing, Mm. which is sometimes it's a warrior pose, sometimes it's a child's pose. You know, moving nimbly in response to your lived experience to say, I'm succeeding, I'm succeeding, I'm succeeding. Oh, wait, diminishing returns. I'm actually, now I'm doing the opposite of what I thought I was doing. And then having the flexibility to, to shift into a different approach to it. Mm. And I often use the idea that like, it's kind of a yoga like my relationship is a yoga. Mm -hmm. My partnership um, is a yoga in that it's hard. It's helping me grow. There's a lot about it that I love. There's a lot about it. I don't like, and I have to be nimble in my response to these challenges because if I don't, if I keep trying to solve, if I keep using the same tools to solve something that's challenging for me, the tool I'm using to solve it actually weaves into the problem in a weird way and mm-hmm. becomes part of the problem. Yeah. And I find the yoga metaphor to be 
helpful to be like, ah, now it's time for a child's pose. Yeah, exactly. That moment of effort to surrender. And like you said, when it actually starts to then pull and negate what it is that you originally arrived there for or came there for in search of. And then it becomes just another cloak that we wear to mask ourselves. And then those moments of setting it all back down and, you know, again, whatever framework, I love, I love that visual of relationship and whatever framework you have to kind of go into child's pose once again, hit the reset button. I love going to child's pose in my relationship. I'm like, I surrender. (laughs) You must. (laughs) You must. Yeah. Um, What skill that's completely outside of your yoga practice or your 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 teacher training out completely out of the realm maybe even completely out of the realm of of uh the personal (laughs) growth healing space what skill has been most valuable for you as a yoga teacher empathy is an overused word so i think what i would say is a sense of deep compassion for the human experience. And that's that. That that goes through everything. And and where did you first discover that that was a North Star for you? Yeah, I, I think I'm a student this life through of, of a lot of death and loss, quite honestly, at a pretty young age, and some of it pretty intense and right up in my face and watching people have ideas about how things should be and suffer so greatly because things are not that way. Are you able to speak a little more specifically about that experience, about what it meant to have someone suffer by holding on to ideas in your life? It meant that I was kind of at the effect of that, you know, and lived in it and near it. And somehow from a pretty young age was able to see that suffering because of a held expectation or idea of the way a life should go. And we all live that. And we all live that. I mean, everyone comes and they have just these ideas of how their life should be and how the world around them should be. And it's called dukkha in Buddhism, and that's suffering. And we all suffer because of our expectations and our idea about the way it should be. And so I'd simply say, like, having a deep well for the human condition of compassion for the human condition is really my thread and my through line and whatever for whatever reason that that was awakened in me uh i think that that's really kind of what what is a guiding principle that is a little bit of my superpower Mm. yeah I, i like that for you as as a guiding superpower because i feel it i feel it in your humor when you teach um I like the way that you you bring up like you know working the thumbs because of the scrolling or whatever. There's like there's like some light humor that both that kind of like makes fun of us, your students who are spending all our time scrolling. But you do it in a way that's making fun of yourself as also doing it. Mm. There's a very like oh isn't it funny that we all do this? Mm. And um, I think that that's a really nice example of the way that this empathy plays out because humor is such a helpful way of communicating information. Um, and I found that in your classes, this sort of like the little pops of humor that are both self-deprecating awareness to the, what the collective is choosing and also grounded in empathy. Yeah. I mean, humor Oh my goodness, that is absolutely a way to break through some of the tension that comes up around our hardening of what we think the moment should be, how we should be in it. I use a lot of the humor to kind of break through when people are trying to balance in a posture, right? You've heard it enough where, you know, I just, I say the person who wobbles the most wins or, you know, we just, we just kind of go down that path of, Oh, aren't we adorable? Aren't we just so cute in our human condition and pointing that out? Because if we don't point it out, then we just sit there with a furrowed brow, just with this negative internal tape rolling without anybody taking a flashlight and just kind of looking in and giggling because that's what we're all up to. And so why not pull it out? I think the fact that I worked in the film industry for so long, but not only that, because who cares, but I worked around some of the funniest people uh, that I've ever met. They were all comedians and just 
wonderful and hilarious. What, what did you do? Were you a writer? Were you a producer? What, did, what was the work oh, you I did? Oh, I started just full-on PA, like the big old babysitter for, for all these wealthy, uh, privileged people, <laughs> and really worked my way up. And I you know, was working in offices next to Larry David, who um, was doing Seinfeld at the time. And um, then I worked for him on Curb Your Enthusiasm and coordinating talent, so even more of a babysitter. And, um, you know, just really witnessing some of these people at their at their height and watching, of course, that, that suffering can lead to incredible uh, humor. I mean, if you're talking about Larry David, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is the theater of suffering in, yeah. in its most exquisite form. I'm really impressed by his work. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And Billy Crystal and all those people sharing offices with them. And this amazing writer, Alan Zweibel, who um, was one of the original writers on Saturday Night Live and had just this beautiful relationship with Gilda Radner. And just to be in and near those people who take um, traumatic experiences, which now we sort of, we don't laugh at. We, we, we tend to tenderize it to a point or make it so in a glass bubble. And there's something beautiful for me about being around the people. Because again, uh, the suffering that I had seen and the, the amount of loss that I had seen, and then to be near people who are making those moments, not ha-ha funny, but just you find this well within you that is able to digest, I guess, a little bit more uh, tough experiences through humor. Yeah, I think the humor pose is a is a really good one in the context of yoga because a lot of people. Okay, I'll speak for myself, and I think this does apply to a lot of people. I need to do my yoga. Uh, I need to work my healing. If I do enough yoga, then this this brokenness in me will be resolved, and then I'm ready to live, mm-hmm. and then I'm ready to succeed and achieve my dreams. But I have this wound, and I'm healing it. But the yoga, I've got to do it so. I've got to do it so well. Each pose, I got to strive. I've got to strive. I've got to strive. And then at the end of the day, like I was saying earlier, that mentality is itself the wound. Mm. You know, like. The fact that that there's been a grief or a transgression in our hearts, in our lives, it's that isn't the thing that makes our lives chaotic and mm-hmm. difficult. It's our compensation for that. It's like when you hurt your leg, you develop a limp. the The hurt goes away, and you're still <laughs> limping. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a question here, actually. <laughs> like I just well, I think to just to kind of to, to pick that up and go with it is that, of course, doing this for decades now at this point is that I. I do recognize that it is important and it's beautifully natural to strive and to have ambition. And then, of course, if we're going to be saying that yoga is a thing we do in our culture now, that that's going to be a part of it, is that striving and that doingness. But, and ultimately, if you stick around long enough, the doing subsides, the subtlety of yoga starts to take hold, and there's a beingness. Come in and just be yoga. Go out and just be yoga. And the precision and you know what in, in the limbs is called tapas, the, the fire and the fervor and the intensity around it could be the detail of what's happening in your middle toe. It could be the intensity of in, you know, the sense of ease in your internal organs or your postural or your gaze, whatever it might be. It's beautiful, and it's a part of that path. And I think ultimately what yoga says again and again is you are not broken. (laughs) In the non-dual path, it is you are actually whole and complete as you are. Let's just find some pathways for you to remember that. Let's go beyond all of your ways in which you define yourself through your wounds, through your highs and lows, through your family, samskaras and karmas, and who you are at the core of you just by nature of being here birthed alive on this planet is whole and complete as it is now drop all the other bullshit (laughs) good luck well and that seems to be so much what we all need right now is that we have all these tools and we're creating identities out of our tools and we've created identities out of our suffering and um and then applying the same mentality to these different tools and then taking ourselves super seriously. Um, and I think that there's the piece of humor that's missing. The other piece that I think is missing is the piece of service. Mm. Um, and 
I did a yoga class with you in Bali on the morning of my 35th birthday, and it was a two-hour devotional class focused on um, Hanuman, the figure of Hanuman. And to me, that was one of my more elucidating experiences. Like I'll, I'll do, I've done lots and lots of yoga in my life, and that was a, a, that was a very, very memorable experience because the entire class was threaded through the story of Hanuman. Um, now I know we don't have a lot of time on the podcast, but I'd love for you to share the idea of Hanuman as devotion and service, because I feel like that's another piece to helping us transcend ourselves. Mm. Yeah, any of these, in, in the Hindu mythology, it's called the Padanas. These stories, or some say they're real and they actually happen. But I weave a lot of these stories in and through uh, what it is that I offer because it helps us go and really identify ourselves through these aspects, through these characters, through these archetypes. So Hanuman, as he shows up, is, for anyone who is unaware, is a monkey man, <laughs> as you do. And he is born of the son of air, Vayu, but also really ultimately the seed of Shiva. Shiva is known for the power of creation and destruction. He is sort of the, the what created yoga in a sense as we understand it, both in his mantras, both in his pranayamas and the way it works with fire. But as Hanuman is born, he's imbued with all of these superpowers and essentially as a young monkey man misuses them endlessly. So already we can see how we misuse our own life force um, as we're growing up into ourselves and finding out who we are. We just splay it out, give it away, um, wreak havoc for ourselves and also sometimes our whole community. You see it in in, in a lot of young disgruntled uh, folks these days and what they get up to when they have access to uh, things that actually can do great harm. And so Hanuman comes in, he's making all this trouble for everyone, for villages all around. And um, finally, one day he's making some big drama and he's flying up to the sun and the sun panics and he gets struck down. Hanuman gets struck down and all the gods come around. They're like, uh-uh, he's done. Like too much trouble, get rid of him. And Vayu, the wind god, the, his baby daddy, it's like, uh-uh, he must stay. And so they strike a deal. They say, okay, well, when he is in complete service to the Dharma, Dharma being the pillars or the teachings or the highest path, then he is welcome to, he will have access again to his superpowers. So he goes along his monkey life, not knowing that he has these superpowers, not remembering what he has access to. And one day he runs across Sita and Ram. And Sita and Ram represent essentially the highest path, Dharma, through Ram. And Sita, that embodied, that purity of earth, of nature, really. So in that perfect union, Hanuman runs across them, falls on his knees. He's in utter and complete service doesn't know why, but just from that day forward, Rama, Rama, Sita, Rama, Sita, Rama, Sita, Rama, 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 always on his lips, always in service, doing everything he can. And so all of us, again, out there misusing, all of us then forget our superpowers, forget that we've been given this brief experience of being alive. We forget our interconnectivity to all things. We forget all of that. We think we're the I, the me, the my. We're, we think we're the mask that we have been constructed from our family, been constructed from socioeconomic, been constructed from all the outer things. And boy, do we go hard in trying to reaffirm those. You know, I'm a this person, I'm a rap person, I'm a festival person, I'm a this person, and we just go hard onto our identities. Look at our politics these days, right? So then, as he's in service, Sita gets stolen by some demon and whisked off and everyone's in search of Sita because without that union what are you going to do we can't be embodied we can't the Dharma can't play out <clears throat> so Hanuman is uh, at a point where he is certain that she's over on this island far far away before bridges before airplanes before boats all this stuff the island of Lanka the island of Lanka. Yeah. And so he sits there in meditation 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 and keeps seeing himself in meditation flying and from that meditation, he opens his eyes and surrounding him is his whole community. And they all look into his eyes and they say, you've got this, you've got this. Because they know what he does not know. 
And to me, the superpower of community is that we each see within each other what our superpower is and that we're in service. If you want to really deepen your yoga practice, <laughs> if you want to deepen your psychedelic experience, go freaking give back. Go feed somebody who's hungry. Figure out what your thing is and do it. Go preserve, you know, a species or do your very best. Whatever it might be, help someone who is on their last moments of life. And that's that moment where our community goes, yeah, you've got this. No, but I don't have time. You know, I got to hustle. I got to do the thing. I got to get over here. It's like, no, you got this. Whatever that superpower may be, whatever is burgeoning inside, whatever is actually really, really there, not from the outside, but from the inside. And that's really where sangha, where community, where tribe, where coming together can be so potent can be super distracting and tear us down, or it can come together and really remind us of what we're up to with this brief, brief life we have. I wanted to write a book, and I wanted to give talks, and I wanted to be famous and important. And I found that I'm doing a much better job with a podcast that focuses on other people than I was at doing my own thing. Mm. Um, in part because it, it, I have to do it every week. It's iterative. And I have to focus on my guest. Now, of course, I'm, you know, I weave in little stories about myself and I'm the host of the show. But in terms of the superpower, when I focus on my guest, my little stories are relevant. They're like, they matter. If I were to do a podcast where every week I was talking about myself, who would listen to that? Like, you know, I mean, maybe one, maybe a good one. But I've found too, this idea of part of growing up is finding not just that your power is in service in the way that you're more efficacious, but there's actually more joy in it. You know, like it's a, it's a little less frantic. The ambition is de less desperate. I think if you're an ambitious kind of person, if you're doing something that's service and community. And I feel like in this conversation, you know, service, community, humor, um, you know, yeah. and a little bit of yoga. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's, let's all hope that that's the, where we find ourselves is really in a place where we're held to our highest dharma, and reflected back from those around us. And that's why they call getting together with like-minded people satsang, mm -hmm. to sit in a space and toward elevation. That doesn't mean we don't bring all of our wounds and all of ourselves. It means we do bring all of that. But to sit in community with others and really look toward the ways in which we can elevate each other. And people find that in all different ways, dance communities and uh, spiritual communities and, you know, all humor community, the comedy clubs. I'm not sure that's elevating all the time, but but it has that aspect for well, sure. They, they certainly take care of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, there there's a lot of, there. I think the, in the comedy circuit, there's a deep community as well. Yeah. Um, they kind of rip each other down, but yes. they rip each other down in a way that is like revealing a deeper love. That's yeah. my understanding of yeah. like what the game is there in, exactly. in comedy. And maybe there it's an even deeper support to be when when there's humor than if we're just all taking ourselves seriously way and, too seriously yeah. um talking about service what are some of the ways that you show up in the world outside of your yoga um your yoga teaching what are some of the ways you serve the world and perhaps some of the ways that someone listening right now might be able to plug into some of the efforts that you're doing in the world yeah, I mean, I, my history kind of goes way, way back, all the way to uh, when I was in India and being of service of, of um, orphaned girls. But then when I was living in Los Angeles, I was working for a nonprofit that helped um, imprison teens as they transition out of prison back into their communities. So I spent mounds of time on that, mounds of my life force mounds of love on that. As time has shifted and I had my own children and uh, raising them, I think <clears throat> I've given a lot to the community here around hospice, around um, the healthiest and most, um, in a sense, 
celebrated dying as possible, I guess, if, if one has to go, that it is as loving and embraced as humanly possible. But really, I'd say the last decade has sort of returned me back to my parents' roots, which is really about the environment and about animal species and biodiversity. And where I'm at is that I respect the organizations that have um, really put their whole heart and soul on the line. And that's the Natural Resource Defense Council. And I go in and teach classes to to support them and have a whole community of people who are going in to support them, to lift them up. Uh, then I also support Sea Legacy, who's out there telling amazing stories about what's happening in our ocean, both beautiful and also kind of heart-wrenching, what we're getting up to with our our um, <laughs> our consumerism, you know, what that's actually the effect that that has and, um, both telling helpful stories, like I said, and, and heart wrenching stories and trying to shine the light on that and lift those people up and create sustainability for them and their teams. So I don't need to create my own foundation that I can actually just lift up those who I'm really, uh, in awe of. So I think it's, again, it's where people are really feeling it. They have to feel it because there is a, there is a deep, um, selflessness that comes in, whether it's senior support, whether it's um, in prison support, uh, prison reform, whether it's biodiversity, whatever it might be that that sparks someone, highly encourage people to 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 give just like look at their week or month or year like a pie and give a little slice of that pie towards something that you're impassioned about because i think so much of what we get we feel helpless we scroll past this hard hard information to digest and if we feel even a percentage of our life is given toward action even if it just feels like it's yelling into the void it actually is not because it gives your life a texture and a depth and a sense of action that otherwise you move toward the devastated or helpless feeling. Mm, I think we all need to feel a little more um, empowered and able to face the whirlwind of crises in the world today. You know, it can be very overwhelming. Yeah, we're not meant to digest all of it. I mean, really, we've it's so new that we have access to all the information that we ha have access. Before, it was our neighborhood dramas that we were able to see, take in, grieve, you know, have those experiences. But now it's the whole globe, and we have access to that. And it's they, they're darn sure to make sure that we really see, feel all of, of the hardship that's happening. Well, and I think that that's one of the incredible values of yoga. You know, I, I was traveling for two weeks. I didn't do yoga for two weeks and God, I felt it. And, um, from, you know, what's beautiful about yoga is that there's this spiritual component that we've been talking about this idea of doing your yoga, this personal growth, but also helps your circulation, Ugh. helps your physical body. Like yeah. your, your actual physical body is better able to take on the world. Mm. And when I haven't been in a class for a while, I don't want to go. I don't in the beginning. I just don't want to be there. But by the time I get to the end, um, I feel like I've wrung some gunk out of myself. Like actually, just wrung the towel out of some some tension and some mm -hmm. drama and and that sort of thing. And so, if you're listening and you have not, you haven't really approached yoga because it's too much, it's too much the thing, or there's the physical whatever it is. I would. Um, what would you say to someone listening right now who kind of doesn't feel like yo like they would even want to try yoga. Mm. Well, yoga is really for every single human being that really wants to go to it earnestly. I mean, and, and you're definitely going to run across some not-so-great classes, <laughs> and you're going to run across some maybe life-changing, and maybe you want that, maybe you don't, but it's it's there for you waiting, and it has, it has an avenue for you. It has a pathway for you. It was truly designed so that every being could could walk toward it. And if you walk toward it without any expectations, humbly, my goodness, it's, um, it's offerings back to you will be a hundredfold. Yeah. I've, I've been doing it for now about 10 years and, um, I stopped drinking alcohol and started doing yoga 10 years ago. And at first it just hurts the first couple of months. Like it hurts so much. And my body was just like, I can't, why am I in this? And then over time, 
the alignment, the tiny little shifts in alignment started being really attractive and interesting. Can, what if I do this? What if, I, you know, and, you know, I have to accept my body the way it is. There's mm-hmm. certain things that my hips just won't do in the same way that other people do. So I've had to let go of the image of how it looks. Um, there's some things that yoga isn't going to fix. I sit too much, mm-hmm. you know, doing yoga three times a week is not going <laughs> to, you know, deal with the dead butt that we're all suffering from, from sitting too much. So it doesn't heal everything, but it's become a really trusted friend. And um, I did a yin yoga teacher training. Mm. Um, I think I'd like to do a full on yoga training and actually get a full certification to potentially teach at some point. But, um, and that's kind of the arc, you know, we feel our wounds, we party, we try to, we try to feel pleasure because we don't feel so good. And then that turns into, okay, there's pleasure. And then pleasure turns into personal growth. Now we're doing personal growth. We're doing our healing. And then finally it's like, okay, well, I feel like I've kind of got the ground under me. What's the next step? And it's service, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a kind of beautiful arc and those can all happen concurrently, certainly, but there's this kind of arc from partying into service, which is so much what I think festival culture really truly in its core is about. Yeah, I mean, festival culture, in my understanding, is not dissimilar from satsang, is getting together with like-minded people and really working to, just being open to elevate each other individually. And let's all be in that community as much as possible, whatever form or whatever way the yoga is happening. Well, Janet, I... I so wish we had more time to chat because I could noodle deeply for hours and hours with you. But um, it's been a yoga <laughs> to fit my my ninety minute practice into a mm-hmm. a forty five minute practice today. It's been actually kind of a real interesting thing for me. I I'm, I forgot my opening question, <laughs> which is what is a home run podcast for you? So I usually ask you what you think a win would be. Do you have oh. a quick answer for it now that we're at the end? Yeah, home run podcast is one that just speaks to a true authentic conversation that's unfolding and that actually then speaks to those who are listening and goes into places that they didn't know they were even yearning for or to hear or be reminded of. And then the final question is, in light of that, how do you think the podcast went? Oh, well, I feel like I had a really wonderful conversation with you. So hopefully everybody else enjoyed it. Well, I, you know, for me, it's just a, a pleasure to speak to you about these matters because I've been attending your classes for a few years now and I love the work that you do. And um, we, I, there are friends I see at your class regularly. My friend Danny, who I went to college with, um, one of the, we're close friends, we spend time together, but one of the main aspects of our friendship is we go to your class on Tuesday and then we get dinner and that's you know the community piece has been Mm. so valuable and I know that there are so many people who attend your classes who are not just there for the yoga Mm. they're also there for the community they're also there for just that vibe for the kirtan for the whole the whole experience and on behalf of all of them thank you yeah thank you so much and have an incredible bake sale today yeah thank you may I sell lots of brownies
Thank you for joining us on Life is a Festival. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support it by sharing it with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes, letting us know what you thought. If you'd like to keep up with me, you can visit my website, aimanarmstrong.com. That's E-A-M-O-N armstrong.com or Eamon Armstrong on your favorite social platforms. Thanks for tuning in. Together, we can make life a festival for everyone. See you on the dance floor.